Hi, this is Nadim von Heidebrand, CEO at Mindfuel, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill. Today, I have got Nadim von Hedebrand from Europe, from Mindfuel. You're the CEO of Mindfuel, and you guys are super focused on data products. So I'm like totally stoked to have this conversation. <laughs> hi. Hi, Brian. It's great to see you and great to talk to you today. Yeah, yeah. If I recall from when we had our like first conversation, you you came out of data science or analytics, some kind of data background, and then you went into product management. And now you're a CEO of a consulting firm slash you've got a you've got a product going, a SaaS product going as well. Did I get that journey right? Exactly. No, absolutely. My name is Adim. I studied business information systems here in Munich. So I'm located in Germany, the Technical University, and I, I worked in data science um my career, my entire career so far switch then into something which we call today data product management. So I got hooked by product management. Later in my career, I found out that this is a topic. Yeah, I founded a startup together with my co-founder, Max. He's a little bit like the, the wife you're always looking for, right? So he brings all the strength and fulfilling, fulfilling my pieces, I would say. So um, he's brilliant product manager. And so we combine data science and product management into what we call data product management today. Yes. Just to ground this talk, because there's different definitions when we talk about data products in general, and maybe even data product management, there's different definitions. I think everyone's kind of feeling like, well, everyone has a different one. I've put mine out there for my audience, but I'd like to hear what yours is just so when we talk about this episode, we kind of know the the grounding that we have. You definitely nail it right away from the beginning because the definition of data products is so broad still in the market and whoever you talk to, especially with the backgrounds of the person you're talking to, there is a very technical definition when we're talking about data products, which we would then also rephrase as data as a product where we reuse verified data or prepared data, cleansed data in a very structured way and make sure that the adoption of these data sets or cleansed data sets is very high. And to other people, uh, when you talk about, for example, machine learning models or dashboards or what we traditionally would name as use cases, realized use cases are then so-called data products. This is also a little bit the definition I typically use. So for me, a data product is something where I have a real user, consumer, someone who's really leveraging the outcome of my product. And this typically happens when we unlock the value in the lines of businesses or in the business field. And they usually use, I don't know, dashboards, models, algorithms in, a, in an integrated way in their processes, for example. So there are different definitions of data products. I live with both of them, the data as a product definition from, from a technical perspective, validated data sets, but then also the product which is really usable, consumable by a non-technical person, if you want to. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. When I hear data as a product, I usually jump to like, oh, I'm a marketing person. I want to buy 50,000 email addresses of IT professional leaders. That to me is data as a product. It's a zip file you can download for 1995. <laughs> and that's Yo, fine. That's, you know, there's places that times you need that kind of stuff. And then that's totally fine. That's not what I'm generally talking about on this show. And yeah, I mean, there was a definition now as you're talking about it. So there was a paper I read a couple of years ago already where there were actually three definitions of a back then data product. It was called data as product, where you use the raw data and consume them through an API or through a web service or whatever. Then there was data as information. So transformed data where you've been able to consume then the information out of the data. Um, and there was data as a model. When you use the data, put it into a function and you get a prediction out of this data so these were uh, definitions which already existed like a decade ago. And as of today, I would say we, we mix it up like with yeah data as a product or data products where you consume from a business perspective the outcome of, of data. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're aligned on that outcome piece and not so much on the, the manufacturing of technical output is required, but that's not actually the end of the game. That's not scoring the goal. You know, <laughs> the goal is the outcome. I know you have a interesting framing here about the job title and role of data product management separate from the disciplines, the activities, and the behaviors of applying product management to data science and analytics work. So doing data product management activities in the same way, I, I, I look at this the same way with design, which is you can't not design solutions. Like there's always a user experience, even if you didn't put an intention behind it. So we can begin to learn how do we put more intention, even if we're not a trained designer, we can put intention behind the work. Let's put the data product manager thing sec. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but let's start with the skill set thing. What are the skill sets that is someone that wants to jump into the space that they might need to let go of from if let's say they're coming out of data science and analytics or maybe engineering? What are these skills that they need to have here that they can begin to practice today? Or if you're a leader or management that you, you know, if you wanted to get training or help, what are those skills that they need to do to start getting this high adoption, high business value? To explain the skills even better, let's look back just for a second where we're coming from. When we look into the last decade, we were used to do a lot of projects. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to, I don't want to like uh, judge on projects today. Project management is a super important job role, a lot of activities, but when we think about products and product management, one important thing is that looking into this discipline, there are different characteristics, skills and strengths needed and different activities are applied. The product mindset already says it quite well. When you look into classical product management, you have something called the viability, the desirability, the feasibility. So these are three very classic dimensions of product management. And the fourth dimension we at Mindfield define for ourselves and for our applications are, is the dateability. If we briefly jump through these four categories, viability, a classical topic where we try to find out if the product we are building has a business case, creates added value, creates an outcome for the recipient of the product. And the desirability, I mean, most of the audience here are coming probably from design as well. You have to understand the underlying need of your consumer, of the user who's consuming your product. The feasibility, we're data people or we're tech people overall. We know, can we build the product from a technical perspective? And if we deep dive then into the data space, 
we have to think about the dateability, which means is the data good enough? Do we have enough data? What about data quality issues? Do we have access to the data? And um, is the data well balanced? And can I even do something around maybe advanced analytics with the data because I have enough correlations in the data? So all that data specific questions is something we summarize in dateability. Looking into classical initiatives today, you cannot do not product management as of today already, because if you look, for example, to a very experienced product owner who's running a data initiative and has a cross-functional data, data development team with a scientist, machine learning engineer, a data engineer, and so on and so forth, these kind of product owners typically already ask the right questions. So on their individual initiative level or use case level, they're already doing it maybe implicitly. Now the question is, how can you structure and generalize and also make it more transparent what these activities are and how to address them? Because I personally believe, and this is actually the, the reason why we founded Mindful as well, is I truly believe that these famous 90% of all data use cases fail or data science initiatives don't create impact or business value, whatever statement you're listening or reading to, truly depend on the fact that at the beginning of the initiative, we are lacking product management activities. We're not putting enough effort in desirability, viability, and all of that stuff, which result at the end in a maybe solution result of the project, of the initiative, which is not creating the expected business outcome we promised maybe from the beginning. So that's the reason why I think data product management is a, a super valid and very important set of activities in this case. Got it. And I'd really like to focus this talk on that, what you're calling the desirability vector here. Actually, most of my audience, just so you know, I think is actually non-designers. They're gonna, I think there are more people listening from the you know, analytics and data science field, consulting, things like this. I think that audience understands what's viable technically to make. I think a lot of the times the problem with this, the 90% story that you tell is the problem is not really understood down at a granular level. So it might be something like we want to have more effective marketing campaigns. And so we want to make sure we're targeting the right message at the right people or something like this. And where a lot of times these things fail, in my experience, at least my perception from talking to people is that they don't really understand what the humans in the loop are actually doing. The marketing people on a day-to-day -day basis, they are so disconnected from what's it like to be a CMO? What's it like to run an ad campaign when you're making the decisions on messaging, when you're making the decisions on targeting? They don't really understand the workflows of those people. And so even if you get the modeling right and you have the data and, and all that stuff, if you don't understand the problem space properly and where they want help and maybe where they don't, where they're just going to guess because it's too hard to use the, quote, insights of your solution to make a better decision, that really last mile, or it's really the first mile in a way, it's the last mile of the project, but it's really the first mile where we figure out what's needed. That to me is what, I don't know, you, talk to me if you disagree, but I feel like that no, no, no. problem I, I, discovery I, I, is where we're, we're missing things. I have two comments on that. Maybe we start with bringing this all into practice a little bit because it's very theoretic. Yeah, yeah. So if we look into a data organization today, let's assume a classical organization, a classical company, a corporate maybe. So if we, if you, if we refer to your audience, what is the role of a data unit or a data organization? We are usually a support function. In a traditional organization, my assumption is a data unit is a support function. So we have lines of businesses. They coming around with their business challenges or with their business problems or with their business opportunities, as we call it in our framework. 
And our job as a data unit is to understand their needs, to support them, because how do we prove our value? We can only prove our value if we unlock business opportunities in their lines of businesses. So our value contribution is indirect and measuring indirect value contribution is very difficult in organizations. I mean, look, you can compare this to, to a people department or to a legal department. What is the true value contribution of a legal department? Yeah, the support function. And you always need to justify this contribution through the lines of businesses. So now when we look into a data world, we typically invest a lot into AI, into data. We're hiring very experienced people. So you could say it is a kind of investment to build up a very professional data organization as of today, especially if you build it centralized in a data hub or whatever. To justify these investments, we have to create a return on investment. And this is happening through facilitating use cases, products, whatever in the lines of business. So for this, we need to understand what these guys need. So if my marketing lead or if my CMO comes around, my job is as a data product manager to understand his problem, his or her problem, the viability, the business case he wants to fulfill and how I can support him by leveraging my experience and my skill set using the data to create this business case for him. And therefore, the desirability, once again, so what does the CMO truly needs is a very important piece of work in this stage. In former times, we, we used to run something like a use case workshop, you know, a one-day workshop where we collected the requirements, maybe a little bit like in technical in the technical world where we try to collect requirements in a very structured way. But as you said, in product management, we have something like discovery. We have discovery work, which goes on continuously. It is not just a work, which is a work package of like two weeks requirement engineering, and then we develop something in the delivery, but it's a continuous effort. And this continuous effort is super crucial for the success. And this takes me to my second point. Whenever we think about data and analytics, we put a lot of investment and efforts in the delivery piece. I saw a study once where, where it said, 3% of investments go into discovery and 90% of investments go into delivery and the rest is operations and, and a little bit overhead and all around. So we have to balance and we have to do proper discovery to understand what problem do we want to solve. I mean, that takes a very leadership-oriented lens because if the entire tribe feels like my job is simply to deliver and if they don't want it or care, that's not my problem because I was tasked with delivery that culture does not work with this mindset, right? There's a different mindset, in, in my opinion, that's required. We actually have to care about downstream consumption and use and creating value. And it's long-term, it's much better for the makers and for the users and for the stakeholders. It create, To me, it's gonna create better culture because the work has meaning. And I just talked to, um, at the time we're recording this, the next episode that's gonna come out of this show is with Kyle Winterbottom, who's a, a recruiter in the data and analytics space. And he talks about how a lot of staff now, because of remote work and all that, data professionals want to work on stuff that's gonna ship. I want to have impact. I want my work to have meaning. I don't want to just write code in a silo by myself, especially now that I'm remote. I want to be part of something. So there's actually maybe the stars are aligning a little bit there. The work has to actually count for something now. But as you said, 3% investment on this, I, I find that fascinating. I, I've not heard that statistic before. It sounds about right to me. There's not a regular amount of time being a routine. There's not a, a routine of regular customer exposure time. 
And that is so important, right? Routine exposure to the people that you're serving, whether you're in consulting, which is effectively what a data team is doing inside the business. You're kind of like this mini consulting team, but if you don't have that exposure time, you have no idea what you're doing and requirements are a lie. They're, they're, and, they're and, a friendly lie. <laughs> yeah, and even, even on top of that, what we have to maybe address at this moment in time, this goes also out to the lines of business people listening to this because they also have to understand that they have to bring, a f they have to invest some time into this. I had the chance within my career now to deliver more than 300 data use cases. So I've seen a lot and I've worked on a lot of different initiatives myself I, as a data scientist, as a project lead, as a, as a steerer on different initiatives. And what, what I experienced very often is that the line of business side of the house also said, yeah, you know what? I only have three hours a week to contribute to this. So my preference would be I just drop over or I just throw over the requirements and then you do the magic and then you come back. And in terms of a, like a maybe even customer supplier relationship, but the reality is the best initiatives I delivered in my career and also now within MindFuel are the ones where we try to build an end responsibility from the lines of businesses among the product managers, the PO, the product owner, and then the delivery team. This is something which your operating model needs to facilitate as well. So your operating model in the data organization and, and the collaboration with the business, I mean, we, we're talking here cross-functional collaboration. Sometimes we even have to break down silos or like now the, the, the whole organizational topic and agile topic plays into. So there's a lot of, let's call dimensions we can sort out or we have to sort out to, to truly deliver measurable impact from data. I'm totally aware of what you're saying there. And I know that's a challenge for, you know, people I've talked to routinely in my space as well as sometimes getting access to the people who are going to use it can be difficult. This is actually a classic problem for designers and user experience professionals as well. Sometimes our gate is like a sales team that doesn't want us talking to a customer who's going to buy a million dollar piece of hardware, they're so afraid we're going to ask the wrong thing or whatever, you know, and what they don't realize is the best solutions come when we're designing with our users and not for them. We're not really doing it for them. We're doing it with them. And it's so hard to get it right if they're, if they're not an inherent piece of both the problem discovery part and the solution part it really breaks down because they're sending you a lie when they send you requirements and it's a friendly lie. They're trying to help you by telling you this is what I need, but they're usually expressing that as a solution. And they are not data professionals that know how to build data products. They are a marketing person that's in charge of getting the messaging right and creating demand. And they're trying to help you, but it's a lie. Lies, maybe not the right word, but I want people to internalize that there's, there's a missing thing in these requirements. They're a hint at what might be needed. And we need to start treating it that way and dig into what's behind those quote requirements. Also bring this back into reality because I mean, we're talking about ideal scenarios here. In reality, everyone is busy. Everyone has the full schedule. So I think what a product manager or data product manager is one of his best abilities is to create these kind of win-win situations. So a win for the line of business, a win for the guy who is super busy all day long and a win for us as a data team, as a data organization, to deliver the best possible outcome out of this. A data product manager in its role, when you establish the role, not only covering the activities by someone or a data leader specifically, we are kind of a connecting person who is connecting to the line of business, connecting to the management, 
we're talking to controlling, we're talking to finance. So in a lot of my initiatives, I'm not only interfacing with the line of business and the PO, but I also have to manage the financial side of the house when I'm running more than one initiative. Took now the example for one use case, one product, whatever. But as a product manager, I typically have a portfolio of products. I have a portfolio of investments and I'm talking to so many different people to facilitate the viability and the desirability. And I typically maybe also accompanied by a designer who's then like, like in classical product management, running this kind of discovery stuff for me or with me as a technical team. We need to learn to understand these challenges and tasks because we're all educated from our background. So I can just say this for myself. I don't want to generalize here, but I can say for myself, I went to a super good university, but they teach me to solve problems. So always think in solutions. They throw me over a problem and I have to build a solution because I'm an engineer. But what I truly learned within the last few years is stick in the problem space, understand the discovery, or try to understand the problem through the discovery and bring this into a context of P&L, how can I contribute really to the P&L of my customer, which is the line of business? And how can I build a true business case all around that to scale it then out? Because nothing is actually, it is worthless if I cannot scale it at the end. I need to make sure that it is adopted the product. I need to make sure that people are truly using the product at the end to unlock the value at scale. This brings us break even as a data unit and turns a data unit from a cost center actually into a profit center. Exactly. I think that's a, another mindset, especially if you're an AI machine learning in this space in particular, there's big expectations for these, this spend, right? This investment that we're making. And it's in a space where a lot of executives, I don't really understand what's possible or feasible, but they train has left the station and everyone wants to get on board that, right? It's a time where we have the capability to, there probably are opportunities for that. And if you don't want to waste it, I think you really have to get the, especially in data scientists, you, you really need to understand this problem space and think in terms of that. And, and not just P&L too. I think uh, you made a good point about the, the P&L space, but it's also in consulting, we kind of talk about the transformation of the client. Like what's the change the client wants to have, but that can be applied internally too. So if the chief marketing officer is your client or the head of advertising campaigns or whatever, getting to know that person and how is your thing going to empower them? Cut down on busy work that they can't stand doing or prevent me from shooting myself in the foot and making another mistake. How can you help take work off their plate, make them look like a champion or whatever? That's how you get them to spend time with you in those nitty gritty meetings where you're down in the weeds about what's going to go on the dashboard or whatever, because you keep reminding them like, we're here to get this work off your plate. We're here to help make sure the next spend on this campaign is not 3% success, it's 6%. It's double what it was last time. That's why we're asking you these questions and you gotta remind them why we're here, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, no, fully, exactly. And, and facilitating the user, the customer, whatever you wanna call it, this is how we as product managers are rewarded, right? So we are just as good as our customers are. And especially if I look now into the data space where it's very difficult to be this kind of translator, as you said, the line of business cannot come around and, and tell me what the analytical use case is. He comes, he comes around, he or she comes around with, with a business problem. And my job as a data product manager is to understand the business problem and translate it into an analytical problem, but from a discovery perspective. And I don't have to do this only for one problem, but I have to do this for many problems, for several lines of businesses, 
So as I said, very successful data product managers, they have a very good overview of their portfolio. So they play the portfolio game because they know that not every data product can have a hockey stick value contribution at the end or even be successful at the end. So in scaled organizations, data product managers, they typically run a portfolio of data products and each single product is a, can be seen a little bit like a, from an investment point of view, this is where we're putting our money in. So this is the reason why we also have to prioritize the right use cases or product initiatives, because typically we have limited resources, either it is investment money or it is people or resources or what, or time. So we have different um, limited factors. So we can typically not run all the initiatives. We cannot solve all the problems of all stakeholders coming around to me and, and telling me about their great business opportunities they're having. And so when you play this right, or when you establish a proper approach, if you want so to manage these kind of portfolio in your data organization, regardless now if you already have a data product manager or not, then me as a data leader, I need a clear overview and understanding of my portfolio and in which initiatives I'm investing my resources at the moment. And this needs to be very explicit and I can recommend to do this in a very structured way so that you can always do two things. You can always report wherever direction you need to report, either to the customer, to the CMO, to your direct report or to finance or whatever, but also it gives you clarity and transparency on where you put your resources in. So to, to optimize your system as a data leader um, in your organizational field. So I think this is super important. Otherwise, you you have, yeah, you might lose momentum if you want so. And I want to dig into this portfolio and kind of talk about now we're talking about a role, a person that's really owning this entire suite of problems and, and, and tasks and responsibilities. Just to wrap up the previous thing, though, one thing, can you unpack for me? Because I think you had talked about bringing design in to do some of these facilitations and research sessions and problem finding sessions. This is still not something a lot of teams do not have any exposure to design or user experience unless they're coming out of the digital, you know, digital natives tend to be more comfortable or familiar with this. What does that look like? Can you just visually tell people what's happening in the room? Who's there? What are they doing? How is design or user experience research helping you, like your business, or how are you helping your clients by deploying those skills there? What does that look like? I have to make a remark and wish at the same time at this moment in time. Unfortunately, we don't see enough designers in data organizations yet. So I would love to have more designing people around me in the data organizations, not only from a delivery perspective, having people building amazing dashboards, but also like truly helping me in this kind of discovery space when it comes to questionnaires, under customer experience workshops, understanding the problem space even better. I mean, there are so many great methodologies from really ex user experience or research design where you try to understand the problem underneath the problem. This is one thing where, where designers are at my side in very big initiatives, where it is also viable to bring a full-time equivalent into these kind of projects. And the other thing is then also when it comes to even to the business case about, for example, willingness to pay efficiency management, how do we integrate the solution from our data product into the operational process from a user experience perspective? So imagine we're building an algorithm for predicting a churn, very simple, very simply said, and the results of the churn algorithm or the output. Now we're talking specifically of the output of the model 
needs to be integrated into the CRM system again. So whenever a sales manager or within the call center, the, the person, the, the user of the CRM system is opening the tool or the platform, and we want to show him very easy way the output of the algorithm. So will this customer churn, yes or no? What is the churn probability? Shall we make him a great offer, yes or no? So these are design experiences or user experience topics where people from the data team are typically overwhelmed. And a product manager can do this to a certain degree, but here it is super cool if you have a dedicated designer on, on board and otherwise you try to make the best out of it together with the design team from the digital platform, you're integrating that stuff. But design is, is, a, is a super critical topic when you really want to scale out a solution you've built in the data space and if you really want to integrate it. Why are the data people overwhelmed? Unpack that for me. I don't want, again, I have to be careful. I don't want to generalize. I'm pretty sure there are great data people out there who can live in both worlds. But the classical data person is a tech person who feels very comfortable in his engineering world and not be overwhelmed with meetings, with communication tasks, with uh, talking to customers too much or to users too much because the challenge is big enough to find a great model or to build a great data model or to build a great prediction or whatever, I would consider data people more like engineers or technical software developers. We are typically not used to talk to business needs too much. I don't want to get it too specific here, but classical data people usually are rational people. Building great products sometimes needs also emotional piece of it. And design has two dimensions for me. It has one that also very rational and technical piece of it, but also a little bit the emotional side of it. And you need to manage this the right way. This is maybe the, ex the explanation where we sometimes are overwhelmed talking as a data scientist myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there any particular, and I, I do want to jump to our kind of the second part of the conversation, but is there any particular story or anecdote you can share about an experience working with the designer or where you discovered something or we kind of landed on something that we didn't think of? I can share a story where I wish I would have had a designer. I remember a case, it's, it's years ago, where the line of business was super involved into the analytical problem. So we wanted to do a prediction in logistics. You know, it was about part management in the car manufacturing industry. We, we wanted to build a solution where we predict which parts are needed and are, should be stocked in which area of the warehouse to optimize the entire logistic flow. I was, at that time, I was a product manager for the data space. So I was the data product manager and I was also steering the development team. So I had a split role between product ownership and product management. So I was talking a lot to the client or the customer from the line of business. I had a lot, a lot of work at that time. And so I left the design definitions of both the KPIs and the lookout of the, of the dashboard we wanted to deliver to my lead data scientist. They were running meeting after meeting, after meeting, after meeting. He always reported to me, everything worked. We have a great alignment. I totally understand the problem. I know what we need to deliver. And then we were coding and we were developing the solution like for three weeks in the first sprint. And we, we showed the first prototype after three weeks and the customer was like really, really, really disappointed at that moment in time because both the, the customer and my lead data scientist 
both had the experience that, or had the feeling that they've understood each other. But my data scientist was just thinking in solutions and KPIs, and he, he developed, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 KPIs, and he predicted a lot of stuff. And not a single KPI helped my business stakeholder. I wish I would have someone who tries to understand the underlying problem, because also my business was not capable. So it's not only about the data scientist, but also the, the guy from the business was not capable to express what he actually needs. So there was a lot of ping pong going on and in between these two roles. I think at this moment, I wish I had a designer with me on site who can convert this expression of the lines of business into the true need we should address and which we should solve, yeah. Yeah, and I think just to wrap up this topic, I think if you've had that experience before and you're listening to the show, it's normal that you're not getting the right requirements because people don't think in terms of expressing problems to people. They think in terms of saying, ah, I need a new whatever, you know? But they're not telling you the underlying reason why I really want a new car because I'm going to see my friend and it's a college reunion and like I want my status to be reaffirmed that I drive a BMW and that I'm successful. They're not going to come and tell you that. You might get to that in a research conversation at some point over some time, but they're never going to come to you with that. A good salesperson can tease this stuff out just like a good researcher can tease this stuff out but they're never going to walk in the door with that. But there's always unarticulated needs. And that's where the money and the value and like that's where real value creation happens and delight. That's where we actually have a big impact on people's lives is because they don't even know that that's why they're doing it. But when you uncover that, it's yeah, that's actually what I hate. I, I hate this busy work of running ad campaigns. It's driving me. I spent all my time on this. I hate this. And they didn't come in with that. They're like, I need a dashboard. Really what they were saying is, I can't stand how much time we have to spend coming up with ad creative and not having any idea what language is going to work because we don't know what worked in the past. Even though we've running campaigns for 100 years at this company, what if we knew about what worked in the past and why? And it's like, but they don't come in with that. They come in with, I need a dashboard. <laughs> I mean, a, a very a very funny story for, for wrapping up the topic is, as you know, we, we're building our own SaaS platform. And as a consultant, I typically think in solutions. And when we founded MindFuel, my co-founder forced me to avoid talking about the solution for an entire 10 months. So in whatever meeting we were sitting, I was not allowed to talk about the solution, but only about the problem space. And this was horrible for me. It was really horrible, but we, we were designing in a problem space for over 10 months and I was not allowed to talk about solutions. And for me, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm worked in sales. <laughs> I worked as a consultant. I think in solutions, but this really helped me once again to, to learn to stick in the problem space for a while, although I was suffering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's tough and it's a gray space. It's, it's usually not super black and white, although we can get to some very concrete things eventually you can surface those needs. We have to get comfortable with the gray part of this. And that's, I think, where designers and, and, and user experience people, we, we're used to living in that wishy-washy, unclear, vague kind of space. And it's just a skill that you have to get more comfortable with. So yeah, I totally can relate to that. Nadim, I have a question for you. How would you like to just come back and do like a part two here? We're, we're at 40 minutes. I, I knew this was going to happen because we have so much to talk about. Would you like to just maybe come back and do a part two and we can jump into the role of the DPM and kind of this portfolio? I think that's an awesome topic. Happy to do so. I think it makes sense uh, because now we talked a lot about design. 
Yeah. And I really, I truly like it. And this is, but also I'm not the best design person, I have to admit. So my background, my background is not design. So I was just able to explain this from, from a product manager perspective, more or less. That's actually exactly what I wanted because I don't, a minority of my audience, I think, are actually designers and user experience people. There are more people like you. So getting your language and experience around it, I think is great, actually. So thank you for sharing all that. In the meantime, we'll figure out a time to do part two, but where can people learn more about you? Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? What's your website? Can you tell us where, how to find MindFuel and you personally? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you'll find me there. Please feel free to, to add me and to connect with me. Otherwise, Mindfield is working in mainly in Europe. So in the German speaking region, what we call the duck region, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Also, Mindfield has a quite prominent uh, LinkedIn page. You can connect with me and otherwise you find everything on mindfuel.ai. Cool. Nadim, this is awesome. I look forward to part two here. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. No worries. Thank you for having me, Brian. Really looking forward to part two. It's going to be fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag experiencing data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.